Fight or flight. That's the reaction that kicks in when animals are faced with a threatening situation. Uh, if you've watched a wildlife documentary, you'll know the kind of thing I mean. Uh, a porcupine encounters a lion, and the adrenaline starts coursing through its body. The pu- blood pumps faster and faster. The porcupine is getting ready to either flee away from danger or to stand and fight for its life. Fight or flight. Well, today we're talking about how Christians engage with the world. And I think there's a lot of fight or flight kind of reactions that could be provoked by that topic. Uh, We've been talking over the last few weeks about how uh, the world around us is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. Uh, That's a fact, and Peter said we should expect that. The question is, how do we respond to that? Uh, Do we flee, uh, as some people maybe seem to be doing, uh, withdrawing from the world, uh, setting up an alternative Christian bubble where everything can be safe and it'll all be okay and we can pretend that everything else isn't happening? Or do we fight? Do we try and aggressively fight for every last piece of Christian culture we can? Do we try to dominate and stand our ground in a fight to the death? Well, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at this letter uh, that Peter's written under the title of Everyday Church. And we're really asking this question, how do Christians live in the world? So far, Peter's been really showing us that it's all about understanding our identity. Peter says we're not defined by being against the world. We're defined by what God has done for us in Christ. He's brought us with the precious blood of Christ. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so now we live for God's approval. We're his kingdom of priests, as we were hearing about last week, in the world. We're God's representatives here. That's what we've been seeing so far in 1 Peter. Um, But at this point in the letter, Peter changes gear. And he starts talking about how this different identity is going to practically affect how we live in the day-to-day interactions we have in the world. And to start with, at the top of this section, Peter gives us a kind of a mission strategy, a little set of actions that he hopes will govern the way that we engage with the world. Uh, We're going to be unpacking that little mission strategy over the next three weeks in 1 Peter. So I thought before we dive into the bulk of this passage this morning, uh, we should just refresh our minds on what that is. Uh, So if you've closed your Bibles, we're on page 1218 in the Pew Bibles, um, and it's 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's just read verses uh, 11 and 12. This is Peter's mission strategy for the Christians. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, as strangers and aliens in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's got two things for us to do. Firstly, stop sinning. Abstain from sinful desires. Second thing, keep living good lives among your neighbours, among the people around you who aren't Christians. And that's going to produce two results. Do you see that there in verse 12? Uh, Some will accuse us of doing wrong. But some people will see our good lives and they'll actually be attracted towards the gospel. And in some way, they'll be found to be glorifying God with us on the day when he returns. 
So in a nutshell, Peter's mission strategy is live good lives uh, among the people around you in the hope that they too will glorify God with us. Over the next three weeks when we're in 1 Peter, we're going to be seeing what these good lives actually look like in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of life. And then this week, Peter shows us what those good lives look like in three areas of the world, three areas of society where we'll encounter uh, the world and have to deal with it. Uh, Society, the government, uh, the workplace, and the home life. And there's actually one key idea that shapes how we should relate to people in all of these areas. Uh, So let's see if we can spot it. Have a look at verse 13 for the first one. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Then the second area is in verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And then the third area is in chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate with your, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Peter's telling us in today's section that the good life uh, that will glorify God and attract people to him is to be submissive, to submit ourselves. How should we engage with the world as Christians? Well, Peter says we should submit to it. Not fight, not flight, but submit. Hopefully that sets off enough alarm bells uh, for us that we're actually curious to know what that actually means and how we go about doing it. And so what we're going to do today is spend a bit of time working through each of those three areas that, that Peter's flagged up for us. Uh, but at the, end of the, at the end of our time this morning, uh, we're going to have a look at the heart of the passage, um, which is where Peter starts talking about Jesus and his death on the cross for us. I don't know if you noticed that um, as we read this morning. Uh, in a nutshell, Peter says that the way we live in the world as Christians should be shaped by the way Jesus lived in the world. And Peter goes to the cross and he says the way Jesus lived was he submitted himself. He suffered death for us on the cross. So really this morning, as we go through all the way this morning, we're talking about what a cross-shaped engagement with the world should look like. If we love the cross, how do we love the world? That's our question this morning. So let's dive into the first area then. Uh, We're only going to be able to sweep through these, I'm afraid, but we'll get um, some of the basic principles, I think. So chapter, three, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, we should submit to society. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's, it's very clear, isn't it? There's not much wriggle room there. Peter says, if we're followers of Christ, we should submit for his sake to every authority instituted in our society. And we may ask, but hang on, that sounds great, but what about when that society opposes us? Well, that is exactly the situation that Peter's readers were in. Have a look at verse 15. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What's this ignorant talk? Well, people were probably saying that the Christians were antisocial in Peter's time. Um, they lived in the Roman Empire, which was a really uh, varied uh, group of people that were really only held together by one thing. 
and that was that they all acknowledged the emperor as the ultimate lord. This was so important for holding the Roman Empire together that they actually started worshipping the emperor. He was a kind of a god figure that everyone had to worship. And in that culture, along come the Christians, and they start saying, no, Jesus is the ultimate lord. So you can see how they might be seen as a bit of a threat to society. These guys seem to be undermining the whole thing that ties our society together. They don't really fit in. They're antisocial. And that's the context in which Peter says, submit yourselves to those very governors who think that you are a threat to society. It's God's will that you submit to them. And Peter says that is going to silence the ignorant talk. That is going to stop people calling you antisocial. Verse 17 shows how they should do that in practice. Uh, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. It's not rocket science. Honour those authorities that are established in your society. Be model citizens. And can you see how the mission strategy that we talked about at the start is now working out on the ground? As we live as model citizens, Peter says, people will stop accusing us of being a danger to society. And that might even lead them to glorifying God with us. So, God wants us to place ourselves under the authorities of our society, even if they think we're antisocial. We shouldn't run away from them. We shouldn't fight them. We should place ourselves under them. Earlier, we remembered those who fought and died for peace in this country. But some of them include conscientious objectors, people who refused to fight because they were committed to peace and felt in conscience they couldn't fight. And I think there's a bit of a lesson that we can learn as Christians from them. Not necessarily in our attitude to war, but in generally in our attitude to society. You see, there were two kinds, broadly speaking, of, of conscientious objectors. There were the ones who just refused to fight because they didn't want to, and they kind of sat at home out of danger. Um, And you hear about stories about they were given a kind of a white feather because people thought they were cowards for doing that. But then there was another kind of conscientious objector, the kind that actually put themselves in harm's way, the kind that drove ambulances and were bomb disposal teams, who weren't afraid of dying but didn't want to kill. They served their society as far as their consciences would allow. And you don't imagine that there are many people giving them a white feather. I think we can learn from them, that second group, as Christians. We should seek to serve our society as far as our consciences will allow. Some people may still accuse us of doing wrong. They may give us a white feather. But that shouldn't be because we've been lazy or we've been selfish or we've just checked ourselves out of society and haven't really honoured the authorities. So how do we do that today? Well, I think in our society, we are increasingly seen as antisocial as Christians. Uh, Think about the idea of tolerance. That's a word that increasingly holds together our society. Our society is built around the idea that we are tolerant to others. And that's starting to mean that if you say that somebody is doing something wrong you're being intolerant. And so Christians tend to find themselves in the firing line. If they have moral stands and say, that is not what God wants for your life, that starts to sound intolerant. And it starts to be sounding like we're not really part of what society holds together by. So how do we respond to that? Well, we could flee 
couldn't we? We could just set up our own little alternative Christian bubble uh, and just pretend that nobody else really matters and stop speaking to society and saying this is what the best way to live is. We could just hide away and stop being distinctive. Or we could go on the offensive. We could make a real virtue out of being intolerant. Yeah, we're the Christians and we tell you what is wrong. And that's what we like to do because we're fighting a kind of tooth and nail battle uh, to keep every last bit of moral fabric in our society. But Peter says, don't fight, don't flight, submit. So what's that going to look like? Well, I've been trying to chew over this, and this is really just my suggestions. But I think Peter would say, remember that you're free. He talks about that in verse 16. He says, live as free men. The gospel means that we don't actually have anything to fear from our society telling us uh, that we're intolerant. We don't need to worry about that. We're not in a fight to the death. We're free. We don't need to be scared. But we do need to serve, verse 16. Live as servants of God. And so I think as Christians, we can reject the idea um, that you can't love somebody um, and still tell them that something they're doing is wrong. We can give ourselves to our society and show love practically and in all kinds of ways without pretending that we have to agree with everything. I think if we do that, people will see that whatever the word is about intolerance, the deeper category of love, which everyone acknowledges, well, they'll see that Christians are loving, even if they maybe fit into this intolerance category. And that'll show people that Christianity is still a force for good. That Christianity being unloving is ignorant talk at the end of the day. Well, that's some thoughts on the tolerance issue. Uh, Just zooming out from that, generally, Peter's saying, live as model citizens in your society, wherever you can. Most of the time, that's not going to conflict with your Christian faith. Don't use your Christian faith, therefore, as an excuse to get out of things like paying your taxes or paying for your downloads. Be constructive in politics. Use your vote if you have one, uh, if you think that's a good thing to do. Or maybe even go and be a member of some political body. Uh, Some of us I know are school governors, and that's a great thing to do. So seek to do good in our society, honouring it. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. Well, let's move on to the second area uh, Peter wants us to submit in. Uh, That's verse 18. He says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So Peter said, submit to your society, even when it thinks you're antisocial. And now Peter's saying, slaves, submit to your masters, even when they're unjust, when they treat you like a piece of rubbish. Now, I don't think in the congregation this morning we've got any slaves with us. Um, if, you, if we have, this will be very relevant for you. But I think there's lots that we can still learn um, about this for us. Um, slavery in the ancient world um, wasn't quite the same as slavery um, in kind of African times that we tend to think of. Um, but it was still slavery. People didn't often receive a fair reward for what they did, and it was backed up by brutality. Peter says slaves received a beating. So here's how Peter encourages slaves who are facing that. Let's see what that says, and then we'll move on to think about us. Uh, so verse 19, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. Peter doesn't say to these Christian slaves, fight, rebel, and he doesn't say run away, get out of it. His priority for slaves is that they should commit themselves to doing good, that they should serve their masters with all respect. And that may actually lead them into suffering. And Peter's aware of that. But he says this, he says, if you are a Christian and you endure unjust suffering, that is commendable before God. God loves that. God loves to see Christians seeking to do good, taking um, the suffering that may come with that and continuing to do good. Not fight, not flight but submit. This must have been a very difficult pill uh, to swallow. Can you imagine a slave uh, hearing this in church one Sunday morning who knows that when he goes back to his master, he's probably going to face a beating for something he hasn't done. Can you imagine how brave that slave would be to take every step home? But hopefully as he takes those steps home, he's encouraged because he knows that God loves every step that he's taking. Every step he takes back to serve his master with all respect is a step that God loves. Well, how does this connect with us then? Well, here's how I think it connects. If slaves were facing this kind of massive injustice and they were still told to submit, how much more should we, if we're facing injustice, which is probably of a smaller scale, how much more should we submit? Now, we do have more rights than slaves, and thank God for that. Uh, we've got disciplinary procedures and that kind of thing that we can take advantage of um, in our workplaces, for example. But we should still do that in a submissive and a humble way. And if it, things don't work out for us, if we're still facing injustice, well, Peter says, endure it. That's okay. Actually, it's more than okay. If you endure suffering because you're conscious of God... God loves that. I think this is particularly helpful for any of us who are trapped in a work situation that they feel like they can't get out of. Many of us can choose our jobs, but some of us can't. And Peter says, if you can't see an appropriate way to fix whatever unjust situation you're facing, that's okay. Continue to do good in that situation. Endure the suffering. Know that God loves you for that. And for all of us, there's a call here, isn't there, again, to be model workers. Just as we're called to be model citizens, we need to be model workers. We shouldn't be facing punishment for doing wrong. That's no good. We need to make sure that we continue to do good. So let's treat everyone around us with respect. That's what Peter says, isn't it? Verse 18, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And perhaps we can be most distinctive in this area by submitting to people who don't show us any respect. Um, even if our colleague or our boss treats us like a piece of dirt, if we sh still show them respect, we'll be distinctive. We'll be living good lives in front of them that may bring them to glorify God with us. I think it's amazing, as I look at this, how we can promote the gospel in such ordinary, down-to-earth ways. We may not be the greatest evangelist, but Peter says that even by doing things like going and getting the coffee run, even when that always seems to t fall to you to do that for some reason, 
and you do it. That's great. And that is actually a good witness before God in society. Uh, Going out of your way to show respect to that team member who isn't performing, who everyone's tempted to slag off behind their backs. That is a good life before people that may lead people to come and glorify God with us. It's encouraging, isn't it, to know that we can all do that in the situations that God has placed us in. Well, let's uh, move on uh, more briefly to look at the final area that Peter calls us to submit in. Um, And that's the home. Um, And we're not going to have a chance to really dig into this one, I'm afraid. Um, But let's just get at the gist. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, we don't really have time to get into detail about why Peter says submit and why that's an appropriate thing for wives to do. But I did want to cover this this morning because I think this is a huge encouragement for any uh, women who are Christians here who are living with somebody who isn't a Christian uh, and any men as well who are in that situation. It must be one of the most difficult situations you could face to feel like an alien and a stranger in some sense in your own home, even with your best friend. And you can see that Peter really sympathises with people in this situation, just from the way he writes. But he does say that that strangeness, that sort of disconnect, shouldn't result in being a worse wife, but a better wife. He says, submit yourselves to your husbands, even if they don't believe the word. The temptation must have been for wives to want to kind of use words to try and win over their husbands all the time. Say, why don't you come to the church? Why don't you believe the gospel? And you could see why that would be a real thing that a wife would want to do for her husband. But Peter says, if you want your husbands to respect the gospel, you should show them that that makes you a better wife. And he gives us a real encouragement. He says, they may be won over by that, by the purity and reverence of your lives. That's actually the best thing that you could do for your husband. And so I think there's a general principle here um, that kind of sweeps across this whole passage for all of us, even if we're not in that situation. Um, And that is that there is a time and a place for words, and they are important. At the end of the day, it's the word that brings new birth. We heard that in chapter 1. Words are important, but there's a time and a place for them. It's not always appropriate to be using words. But it is always appropriate to be living attractive, good lives. To encourage us all in that, and particularly any women who are in this situation, um, Peter tells the story um, in the the rest of those verses of Sarah and Abraham. Now, Abraham had been told by God to leave his country uh, that he grew up in, uh, and with his wife, Sarah, to go and live in a different country that God promised to one day in the future give his descendants. And so they did that. They gave up their security and their familiarity and they went out into a new world in which they were strangers. It must have been very scary, don't you think, uh, for Sarah to have been married to Abraham and to have to leave behind all the comforts of home and family and face the unknown with him. But Sarah didn't let that make her a worse wife. She felt like a stranger, but she still served and loved Abraham. She didn't fight, and she didn't flee. 
she entrusted herself to God. And that's really the experience of all of us Christians, isn't it? We've been hearing that we're strangers and aliens in the world. And it's particularly the situation here of Christian women who are married to non-Christians. We're all being asked to embrace this life of being strangers, embracing difficulty, relational anxiety, leaving the comforts of home for a new world that we don't really know. And it would be easy for us to say, no, I'm not up for that. It would be easy for fear to take over. Have a look at verse 5, verse 6, sorry. Peter says, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Don't fight. Don't flee. Submit. Like Sarah, work hard at being a, a great wife, even when being a Christian wife is a scary business. Like Sarah, all of us work hard at being good citizens, good employees, good husbands and wives, good children even, even when that's a scary business. Trust God that he's put you in the right situation for you. And trust him that the best thing you can do is not to take it into your own hands, but to submit. Um, By the way, we don't have time to look at this very much, but I did want to point out that there's no direct word in the passage for governors uh, or for masters, but there is one for husbands. So let's just read that. Husbands, in the same way, I think that means in the same way, be submissive. Uh, In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands need to make sure that they're submitting too in their marriage relationship. Now that may not look like uh, giving up the responsibility to lead, but it does give, mean giving up the, the kind of any rights that they have for any kind of good life particularly. They need to be considerate. They need to treat their wives with, with respect. They need to clean the loose. You know, practical things like that. Well, that brings us to the end of our uh, sweep through this passage. Um, we'll have a bit more time if we're in discipleship groups to discuss some of the implications of this uh, a little bit more. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions raised. But as we come to the end, I think Peter is less concerned about the specifics of, of in what areas do we submit, uh, how do we deal with the conflicts that arises. He's more concerned with our attitudes. He wants to help us to submit. He wants us to get the kind of attitude that means that we go out of here this morning wanting to submit. And the way he does that is by pointing us to Christ. So here's our final point. Submit because Christ submitted for you. Have a look at verse 21. To this, to suffering for doing good, you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they held their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If there was anyone in the world who faced unjust suffering, it was Jesus. But he didn't fight back. And he didn't run away. 
Instead, he did something different. Did you catch the third thing he did? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He committed his life over to God and said, I know that you will sort this out one day. I trust that you are right and good. And so I hand my life over to you. And in the meantime, he suffered and allowed himself to die for us. And he did that for two reasons, Peter says. Firstly, to leave us an example that we should follow in his steps. Uh, Jesus is our model. As we think about submission and submitting to our world, Jesus goes before us. He's our example. But secondly, he also did it in order to save us. He's not just a good example that we could never live up to. He's our saviour who suffered for us. Let's have a look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus himself bore our sins when he submitted himself. He's healed us from sin and he's given us a new life with him. So Christians, submit because Christ has submitted for you. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you can see that it doesn't really make any sense to be talking about doing the submission stuff that we were talking about earlier in the passage uh, unless you first come to Jesus for healing yourself. To every sheep going astray this morning, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, and I will heal you. But if we are Christians, I hope we see the change that has happened to us. Jesus has healed us. And so we're no longer living for those selfish desires. We're called to live for righteousness. We're called to live good lives. And that means following the way of the cross. It's been clear, hasn't it? We've got to follow Jesus in that. The steps he took to the cross are the steps he calls us to take too in our daily lives. But that's a bitter pill, isn't it? And so two things to remember as we seek to go away and do that. Remember, firstly, that it's for a good purpose. Just as Jesus died to heal us, so too our kind of dying in our daily lives, our submitting ourselves, that can also lead to a good purpose as people see our good deeds and come and glorify God with us. How amazing is that? To be part of dying in a way a bit like Jesus so that people can come to be saved. And secondly, remember that as we seek to do this, Jesus has done it already. He has gone ahead of us. He knows what it's like to be tempted to retaliate. He knows what it's, tempted, what it's like to be tempted to run away. But he shows us a better way. He shows us what it's like when you do commit yourself to the God who judges justly. We know where Jesus is now. He's raised from the dead. Following Jesus is the better way. Just to close, I want to share how I found this really practically helpful for me. Um, I got married in, in January, and one of the things I've been learning uh, since I've got married is that I'm not always right, which has been uh, a bit of a shock for me. Um, and the thing is, you know, if I'm having a conversation with my wife, Emma, 
um, I often feel like I am right, and I react you know, defensively or aggressively or whatever, uh, and I don't really uh, seek to, to change or acknowledge wrong. So I've found these verses, uh, looking at Jesus on the cross, so, so helpful uh, in my walk with the Lord. I remind myself that Jesus definitely was right. I may feel like I'm right, but I'm probably not, but Jesus definitely was. And so if Jesus could learn to not react, but just to trust God, well, I can learn to do that too, can't I? I can learn to shut up and learn to take whatever's happening, and then I can process whether that's right or wrong when I'm a bit more relaxed. And I think that's so helpful for all of us, I hope. Whatever situations we're in that cause us to be scared, uh, that cause us to want to run away or to retaliate, look at Jesus. Look at the one who suffered there for you. And know that even if you failed in that in the past, he has died to heal you. And he's died so that you might follow in his steps and bring other people to glorify God with us. May we engage with the world as Christians who are shaped by the cross. Uh, Let me lead us in a prayer. Uh, Father, that's been a a long passage and we've covered uh, a lot of ground. But many of us will have seen one thing clearly, that you called us to live in the world as people who are shaped by the cross of Christ. Father, that is a tough ask that you're calling us to. And so, Father, we pray for your help. We ask that we might be encouraged by the example of Christ and the salvation of Christ. And we pray that we, in whatever situations we're facing where it's difficult for us to do this, we pray that we might follow in his steps. For your glory, we pray. Amen.